Welcome back to another Ag Watchers. We don't really need to do an introduction to today's guest. It's uh, Fiona Simpson, uh, president of the NFF and farmer from New South Wales. Fiona, thanks for coming along and, and having a chat with us. Uh, the idea that we wanted to do today was to have a bit of a chat about how things are going with the industry. And I think the last time we spoke was in the middle of a drought. And so things have changed quite a bit since then, and things are, are quite positive. Yeah, thankfully so. Um, and I have to say, it's, look, whoever you talk to, and NFF obviously represents people right across the spectrum, so people from all parts of the country and all different commodities and production methods. Um, whoever we're talking to at the moment, it's pretty positive and there's this great vibe, which you don't always get in agriculture, of course, because we're so diverse, nearly always somebody's hurting. Um, yep. And despite having a couple of headwinds, a couple of small headwinds that, you know, and challenges that, that we have to work through, um, particularly in relation to this COVID issue that we're at at the moment and, and, and the upcoming harvest, apart from that, um, there's actually, there is a really positive um, feeling in our industry at the moment. The conversations that I tune into on social media, um, and I'm sure that you tune into too, um, are you know, generally really interesting and positive. People are being proactive and um, there's, a, I think, a, um, a really great feeling about ag in Australia at the moment, which is, which is exciting. And that's, and that's the sort of thing that we see, like Martin and I speak to a lot of people as well, and you know, a year ago, the conversations were about what were depressing. Let's be honest. They're, they're, you know, and it's depressing for for people whether you're a farmer or whether you're somebody connected to farming. But but this year, you know, you, you talk to people and and people are overwhelmingly positive. Yeah, you know? and and I think the drought um, the drought was so exhausting um and as we all know we never know when they're going to end and this one was particularly hard and particularly long and particularly widespread um and even though you know things like livestock prices were better than the last time and you know people were able to some people were able to make arrangements around some of those things it it was really really draining um particularly there towards the end um when it when it broke um and it, i have to say too of course it hasn't quite broken in in all areas of australia yet um you know just being up in in central queensland for example there's a whole belt there that probably does need some some continued rain for a while but I think you know when you're in the middle of that drought it's really head down bum up you just have to keep going from day to day you have to keep your family going you're really conscious about your community um, you know your community is your lifeline in on a farm and you know a lot of the businesses in the communities um, were either shut or hurting really badly people mm. were really worried about their communities and so when it when you don't know where the end is then I think you know that really people just get you know it's it's consuming and that's where we were um, so it's nice to have come out of that. People never thought their landscapes would recover. People never thought their farms would recover. People never thought their families would recover. And here we are now in this great positive sort of vibe. And, and you sort of, when, when you look, like A-Bears had their, their crop updates out yesterday, day before yesterday, and it is quite stark to see that two years of <laughs> practically the bottom of the chart. And then now this last two years, well, last year and this year, you know, both, you know, second and 
second and first record years for 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 grain production yeah and, and you never get that double whammy of the price and the grain like normally you have either the tons or the price um and at the moment we seem to have both well, I'm glad you I'm glad you made the point though Fiona about not all areas in drought I just last week I think on social media on Twitter I put up a post <laughs> I put up a post about um because the, you know, the long-term cycle in Australia from going from a wet La Nina pattern we're seeing now to a dry El, El Nino is, um, is uh, you know, somewhere between two to four years is kind of the, the approximate time between those gaps if you look at the past 15 or so cycles. And I'd mentioned about us being out of drought and, um, you know, all this, all this rainfall. And I think it was Gillian Fennell from South Australia and uh, I think um, Renee from Queensland, Cotton Farm Girl, uh, were very quick to jump on me and say... <laughs> I'm not out of drought yet. <laughs> yeah, what are you talking about the next drought? And so I can, when you were saying that, I could hear, I could see those I could see, I could hear Gillian Fennell just yeah. furious, <laughs> furiously typing away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, it's true. It is true. And, um, it, it, you know, it's, it's just such a massive country, such a diverse industry. Um, somewhere somebody's going to be doing better than someone else, nearly always. But I think what I'm hearing, certainly on my farm here, um, the seasons at the moment, and there you're right, it's a bit cyclic. If we look back, we've been on our farm for 90, 93 years or something like that, and we've got books, record books going all the way back. And if we look at that, it's very cyclical here on the Liverpool Plains. And mm. um, so, you know, I think people are really conscious that, uh, and I haven't seen it in the past as much as I have now, um, and maybe it's also because, um, the, there are a lot of young people coming into our industry at the moment. There does seem to be, with the positivity, I guess positivity brings people and there does seem to be quite a lot of young people in our industry at the moment and active in our industry, which is the exciting bit. Um, and they are all really focused on, okay, can we get through, you know, this is a this might be a good time, but we need to really make sure that we can um, be ready for the next time and what should we do and what should we do differently um, because it is a bit of a cycle. And that's And that's a good point you've made there about this sort of preparation for the future and that's something that we've been trying to drill into quite a few people we we, we last i reckon the last six months we we hear a lot of super cycles and and the new norm and, and a lot of expectations like canola is a good example yeah it's 900 dollars a ton like can't can't say no to that that's fantastic pricing but when you it's important that farmers realize the $900 a ton is not because we're getting rewarded with a good price because we're great farmers and blah, blah, blah. It's because Canada's had a terrible year. Yeah. And, and the reality is that when they come back and have a good year, that price will not be $900 a ton. It will be 600, yeah. which is, which is actually still a good price. Anyway, that's what we forget that, you know, 900 is a great price or fantastic price, but 600 is a good price as well. And, and I think that's important that farmers, understand that markets again like weather is cyclical and yeah. and high prices are the cure for high prices although things are still looking positive for the next next couple of years and and like matt was saying without we just spoke about how young people are positive yeah uh, but also as well i'm just going to destroy all that positivity by saying <laughs> <laughs> every, every day you're in a drought is a day closer to the rain yeah but yeah. Every, every time you're in a good times is it it's a take a take take <laughs> good on you good um, on you yeah. oh, good on you i have to say though like i think uh, so my son here at home he in the drought he just said mum you know because you know it is it's been a really 
pretty tough 10 years mm. and because that's been the cycle um, and that's where he can mostly remember to and he was sort of saying towards the end of it he was just going gosh it has to it has to be better than this we have it has to get better than this does it get better than this um, and so now you know full of full of um, excitement again and planning and and but the exciting thing for for me having you know and we're probably midway through the negotiating the whole succession planning thing but you know, the next generation has such a different approach and, and you know, I'd hope that we had a different approach when we came <laughs> in, but um, I also think that now the next generation, particularly with their, a lot of them, are, you know, they've, they've got a much, much higher level of education than some of the previous generations had when they started to come back onto the farms. And um, I think technology's advanced to a certain, you know, a huge amount and data and people will understand all of those things. And so that's now driving decision-making in a, um, a way that I think is very exciting, no matter yep. what farm you're on. When you, you know, in the past, yes, we swapped enterprises and stuff. We changed from sheep to, to cattle and, and, you know, we started cropping and all those things. But a lot of those decisions were made without the benefit of the data and without the benefit of the technology that we have now. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's, I, I think it's like Matt and I work for a data company as a, as a, as a day-to-day job, as well as, as well as being pig farmers. Um, but, the, but the reality is that the, the data makes decisions better if you, you know, otherwise if you're just making a guesstimate really, but I still think there's a, a place for that experience from from the older generation like like i'm sure your son when he's making decisions on the farm uh somebody else on the farm of of, of his of his of his seniors whether whether you or, or your partner would be saying actually you know the data says that but that bit of the paddock just doesn't get rain <laughs> like that, that, that doesn't happen like that's you, you can you can use all the data you want but it you got to combine that data with experience yeah, for us it's frost. Frost. <laughs> <laughs> it's, but but you're right. So and I think that's the other critical part of succession planning. I mean, obviously people focus on, you know, you hand it all over to the next generation at some point and they start to make decisions and you know these these old farmers get out of the way. But then by the same token, yeah, you we I think we you know, we've set up our farm so that um, we do still have a lot of input. Um, and we have a family board and we, you know, thrash things out around the table. Um, and it can, it's quite informal sometimes, but we can also be formal as well. But um, you're right. I mean, every everybody has something to, to add. And a, a farm business, particularly a family farm business, and a, I think a corporate one just by design, but a family farm business is extremely diverse. It, it benefits mm. from having this amazing range of people around the table with different skills and experience and knowledge and um, uh, all of those things and so the best farms i think make absolute use of everybody they've got at the table um, in making those decisions and if you you looked at the succession plan of a business like a a non-agricultural business uh, a plumbing business Mm. or an electrician business uh, and i've I've got a friend of mine who's in in the succession phase he's he's retiring from um, uh, electrical contractors and he comes back as a consultant you know, for, for six for, for a couple of days a week, he mm. comes back and consults and provides advice on on whatnot. It's the same with agriculture. You, you're providing that sort of consultancy back to the uh, the kids, whether they whether they listen to it or not is <laughs> the question. Well, that's true. Be, that's so true. It'd be good to run the numbers. I suspect that the amount of children that go into farming as their profession 
is probably higher than the amount of children that take on their parents' um, plumbing business or their parents' you know trade business. Uh, it'd be oh, nice no, but, to but, know. But, but, but even if you're selling the business mm. to someone else, you, like like you'd come back as a consultant potentially. Oh, yeah, that's true as well. Um, Fiona, you made some good points around that kind of growing use of data, and I'm not sure if you saw Andrew's latest offering that came out on our website today, um, but it was based around the um, the growth, I guess, over the last um, two decades for um, the agricultural sector as a whole, but also and looking at you know gross value of production as a measure, and 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 also then he broke down the cropping sectors and the livestock sectors and, you know, a few of the other bits and pieces just to see which parts of agriculture have grown over the last two decades. And oh, yeah. now the, the numbers, Andrew, it was out of the what? You want to give us a few of the numbers? Because I think it was quite this, telling this, that... This, this was as my preparation for today. You know, we, we, <laughs> pe- pe- people think that we're unprofessional on this podcast. but but we're, 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 we're uh, it's, it's just all a facade. We're actually, you know, very, very professional. But, but I, just, I just took a bit of a look just to see... Uh, how things are tracking on this hundred billion dollars, and, yeah. and we're going pretty well. You know, yeah. if, if uh, you know what, looking at A Bear's June June data, we're at it's called it sixty five billion. Yeah. Uh, but that was in June. I think when it gets updated this month, I'll I'll I'll, I'll put fifty dollars on it if you want to take it at sixty eight billion. Oh, there you go. I was going to say sixty seven. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, see, see, everyone says I'm negative, but um, I'm, I'm more positive than people think. But but we're looking at things like uh, the cropping industry has yeah. had basically a compound annual growth rate of about 2.4%. Yeah. Uh, livestock has been the, the real big one, 3.4%, 3.5%. Yeah. Uh, but it's really interesting to see like the different commodities and, and what growth they've had, like chickpeas, compound annual growth rate of 9%. but unfortunately triticale like triticale has it's just it's been it's been thrown out of the bathwater it's uh, it's it's had a it's had a loss of seven percent per year and i wonder why that is well i guess i think when when we look at it you know if you compare that triticale value growth Mm. over time which Mm. which actually value decline Mm. it also follows acreage Mm. so it's dropping and like it was quite interesting to see you know you know out of 33 different commodities which i think you guys cover them all which is god knows how you do that uh, <laughs> 26 of them have shown positive growth yeah so that's uh, that's, that's amazing that, that's, isn't it that is good like for any industry yeah and when you think of some of the challenges we've had over the last decade you know we've talked about drought but also some of the trade headwinds that we've had um, and um, COVID, the COVID headwinds that we've had. And, yes, every country has had these headwinds in terms of COVID um, particularly. But, you know, as as exposed as we are to export, I mean, that's pretty extraordinary that we've pretty, you know, we've had to navigate our way through that. And, you know, the other thing I think is extraordinary just on the COVID thing because, you know, people love to bash up ag and farmers are the best at it. You know, we all love to bash up ag. We love to bash up NFF. We love to bash up our representative bodies. We're very, very knock them down. That's, that's, um, why, you're, that's why you're punching back, Fiona. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, I mean, you know, ag, you know, right at the very beginning, we worked together and we actually, you know, put it forward a strong position and we, we have been able to, with some challenges, but more, you know, really we've been able to keep the, the food and the fibre going to where it needs to be. Um, we've been able to keep 
keep the food on the plates of the customers in Australia and over the in across the world. And we've been able to keep the the the, the stuff coming in and the stuff going out with some challenges, but we've been able to do it. So yeah, how that? I mean, what an amazing industry that you know we're still able to grow with all of these different you know, albeit some of the prices that, that are probably globally set, but um, we're able to grow. Um, you know, and our industry is continuing to grow. So, and we, we can't let rest on our laurels, I have to say, because we're still, you know, we've still got a long way to go if we're getting to that, what we envisage in terms of the 100 billion. And it's not just the number. I mean, that's the other interesting thing. We've had some great conversations in the last few months and continuing to at the moment about, you know, that 100 billion. And it's not just that round number at the top. It is about all those other things underneath. And, you know, just in the last 24 hours, there's been this great sort of thread on, on Twitter um, around what is human capital and what does social capital look like. And, oh, I saw that one. I, I, yeah, I, I, how do we do it on farm? How can we do it better? Call, mm. call me a, a, a sort of a philistine, but when I, when I, that was Nicole McDonald, is it? Nicole? Nick, yeah, Nicole McDonald um, is doing a piece of work on it. And on, so she put out a social a sustainability. Yeah, social sustainability. What does it mean to you? And it was great. I mean, now I, I don't I, think a decade I, I, ago I, we would have been talking about inclusiveness. Well, I, I must be I must be a philistine because I pulled over in the car and I read what does social sustainability mean to you? And, and my first thought was making sure the pub stays open. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, Very but, relevant but, here in Prima, I have to say. But, but, then, but then, I, then I read into it, and like, it is interesting. But, but look, looking at that $100 billion, and that obviously is just a number that is a, an aspirational goal to, to, to direct things to, hmm. because the reality is if you, a bit like, like anything, if you don't have a goal or a, yep. call, call it the, the AGS KPI. Mm. But but looking at it, like we'll if we continue at the same growth rate, we'll get close to it. But I guess it's trying to get the extra, you know, one or two percent per year to to get it. And look, a big chunk of it is going to be like if I just look at the last 20 years, some of those big changes in value have come about from changes in enterprise. Yeah. You know, if we use it as as an example, you know chickpeas and canola have shown some really massive growth, which has been a result of both price, but also area. So it's, yeah. it's farmers finding the most, the thing that's most valuable to grow. Yeah. That's, that's just generally what happens from, from an economic point. So choice. Choice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Choice and, and, and ability to sort of know, get the advice from, you know, government or whoever it may be to, to work on what is the actual way to grow. Like, 30, 40 years ago, who would have thought there would be 5 million tonnes of canola in Australia? Yeah, yeah. So I'd say, I'd add another one to that. So I'd say definitely choice and having the tools to make those decisions in a timely fashion and assess, you know, not just look at your farm and your moisture levels, your profile, all that stuff, but look at, you know, what's what's the right thing to plant right now for me yep. um, and being as agile as that. But then I'd also say, so on the advocacy, because because what, you know, farmers love the production side of stuff. They, you know, they all love benchmarking and they love, you know, comparing themselves to each other and they love all the talking about their <laughs> tractors on that Growing the Crop 21 Facebook group, all that stuff. But there's another there's another side too. So you can grow the crop as, as, as well as you possibly can. You can end up with all these tons of canola. But you have, if you haven't got anywhere to sell it, if you haven't got any markets, yep. um, then you're stuffed. So that's where, you know, some of the advocacy that we do, for example, in the trade space. So some of the commodities had a real um, problem with, 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 with China this year that, you know, it's out there, definitely. We know that some commodities um, really had a, had a huge issue um, and some didn't. But, you know, those commodities now um, 
have actually, we've been able to actually work. The government's come forward. They've put money on the table to help some of the commodities explore other markets, get those markets kicking. And we're lucky that we've actually got a massive, a massive amount of markets anyway in Australia. Yeah. Um, that you know we're the envy of the world when it comes to that because we do deliver to an enormous amount of markets and we continue to you know we want to continue that to grow so you know I think there's a lot of things behind it's easy to just say oh you know we were lucky we glued canola this year and it was nine hundred dollars yeah. a ton but there's actually now there's a lot of things in why that's growing and we would say in the roadmap that it actually, you know, through those five pillars that everybody knows about, the people and the, the, the capital and everything else, the competitiveness and, the, and the, all of that, the sustainability, through that I think are the tools that's going to get that ex- extra 2 to 3% that you're talking about, that extra cream on the top. Yeah. Um, we knew that we would never get there if we just kept doing what we're normally doing, but it is about how we evolve and how we continue to, to raise the value that farmers get in Australia. And I think that's... that's, um, that's- I was going to say, Andrew, like you, you, uh, you'd mentioned about the, some of those headwinds, Fiona, and going from those numbers, Andrew specified. I think if we sat at the what's been the long run average rate of growth for the whole of ag, we'd get to something like eighty five billion, is what you were saying, Andrew, isn't it? So yeah, it's kind it of tick. That was, that was yeah, that was, a, that was a quick calculation. Though, so yeah, so so what are what are the big ticket items, I guess, and that might have been one you just mentioned there, Fiona, about, you know, improving, I guess, access to, to those offshore markets. But what, what would be the other big ticket items that, that, you know, someone like yourself would be, you know, keen to, uh, you know, promote and get on board and, and support that, that's going to help us get over some of those headwinds you discussed earlier? Yeah, so there's a couple of really interesting ones at play, I think, at the moment. Um, one of them is no surprise, it's the digital technology, digital connectivity, um, you know, when it comes to, to um, efficiencies on farm and, and streamlining your business and um, how you operate and making decisions, the ability to get real-time information from data is critical. And we know that that's worth a lot of money to people. And, and it's money that, you know, could be in terms of, you know, wages or, or decisions or decisions, you know, that are around agronomic um, decisions that could cost you a lot of money if you don't do it. So data and that whole, and the, there was a report that the um, RDCs did last year when they all collaborated, I think it was last year, called Precision to Decision, where they estimated oh, yeah. that there was $15 billion bucks worth of, of value to ag by having um, real-time information from data. So we haven't got that yet because not everybody has connectivity. It's, we're still at that annoying um, stage where, Technology is evolving, but we haven't got that yet. So that's critical. Um, the other really interesting topic at the moment, I'm sure you guys have explored it or you will explore it, is around the biodiversity um, yeah, markets yeah. And, and being able to, I guess, be paid for. So the, in the roadmap, it talks about 5% of farmers' incomes coming from environmental services. And so whether you're talking about biodiversity, whether you're talking about soils, whether you're talking about uh, carbon potentially, um, or any of those things, we believe that there is quite a lot of upside there once we work our way through it. It's going to be complicated. It's going to take our time. There's no enormous rush. It's oh, I I definitely speak- say to people, don't rush in, but there's there's a lot of opportunities there. I, I speak to Oscar Pierce quite yeah. often about biodiversity and carbon markets uh, on the phone. And I still don't think I understand it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the layman. I, 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 I just nod and agree. And say, Oscar, I'll divert to your knowledge, Oscar, because you know you know better than uh, 
than me. We're, we're confident guru. that he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> he's, he's the guru. Um, but I, I think we've had, you know, lots of when, 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 he, when he starts talking about externalities and, and whatnot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you look over across, the, you know, at, at Europe and the Netherlands, places like that, where they have quite well-developed um by the environmental service markets where it's not government money it's a marketplace people you know want to pay for some of these services because you know they 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 might be service companies in the city or something else you know green bonds always get sold out as yep. soon as they go up so i think it, it's a very very early stage in australia we have to still you know develop the benchmarking we have to work our way through all those things we have to work our way through the methodologies it's the same with carbon you know it does offer lots of potential and if farmers can actually get paid this is not about locking up huge amounts of their farm um, and not producing food and fiber this is about being able to access some financial rewards for being great farmers for what you're um, doing in the environmental sense of the word yeah for what you're doing anyway and um, that's the biggest challenge because there's this little thing called additionality that the, the government really likes which is if you're giving people you know, a reward, then they have to be doing something extra. Extra, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So which, that's which, a bit tricky. Which, which, which is a discussion I've had a few times with people about carbon and biodiversity, about the fact the additionality actually stops people from doing anything extra just now because well, you might as well wait until you get rewarded for it. It's a bit like getting my vaccine. Well, yep. should I get my vaccine now or should I wait till I get $100 Qantas voucher? Yep, exactly. And, <laughs> and you know, so it's, it's at the silly stage here. So on our farm here, we've been doing no-till farming for mm, probably nearly 30 years. Yep. Um, and my son's really interested in the carbon markets and ERF and all those things. And our, we've been measuring carbon on our farm here since 2013. Um, but I said to him, you really, <laughs> if you're really wanting to participate in the market, how it is at the moment, then um, I would say that you probably maybe you should just rip up all your soil and, you know, undo all those great benefits and set your benchmark really low because at least then we won't be exposed to the risk. Now, that's terrible. That's really yeah. awful. And we're not going to do it because it just undoes everything or, we've ever done. Or, or, or clear, clear all that land you've got. Clear all that. It's like the old get the D7 so, out, so, you know? so, then you, so then you've got nothing and yeah. then any tree you add from that point is additionality. Yeah, so it's just, it's not a good, it's not good. And no to Benny, to any listeners, neither Fiona or us are, are suggesting that clearing land. <laughs> terrible idea. Terrible idea. idea. Nobody would ever that, do that. Does that mean I have to get rid of those stockpile of tyres that I've been building up as well? <laughs> <laughs> no, you, um... keep, you keep them because when you <laughs> remove them, that's an additionality. Uh, okay, that's well. that's yeah. an improvement you've made. <laughs> it's tricky. It's tricky. But look, when, when you actually, by the fact that I sit in so many rooms talking about biodiversity and carbon and everything, Tony does, NFF does, NFF's members are, then we're all really zoomed in onto this additionality thing. And so... Um, and the good thing is, is that people are starting to listen. People are starting to see that it's a bit of an old conversation now, I reckon, that yep. farming's bad. And that's the good thing about this positive space we're in at the moment, that, you know, that old conversation that farmers are bad is changing. Um, and it's changing quite rapidly to, hey, look what farmers are doing. How, if farmers are actually part of the solution to looking after our environment, because if they look after the environment well, which they do, then we're going to get come through this better. So, what, what- you, you, you talk to a lot of farmers around the country, and do you do you get any sort of the views on carbon and, and biodiversity? They stick to carbon because that's probably more well known for, for most farmers. But do you find that there's a bit of a kickback from some, not kickback, uh, knockback from some who think 
we shouldn't be bothering with this? Or is it definitely? Um, There definitely still is. It's a really confusing space. And um, I think that what people are challenged about is in in, when when Australia, you know, went off to Kyoto uh, and they passed the Australia clause, and then the native vegetation land clearing laws came in and everything. It was all bad for farmers, basically. Um, and I, te- I th- tend to think a lot of people associate that sort of a discussion with, with the climate change discussion. Um, whereas really now we're at the table and it's quite different. It's quite a different discussion. And so what I say to farmers who are a bit doubtful is that in actual fact, there's, there's a lot of benefit to farmers now. You know, and I, I'm not a scientist. I, I just have to believe, like I believe our agronomist. And yes, we, make, we have very sensible discussions with our agronomist about you know, what he's recommending. But at the end of the day, he's the expert. Um, and you know, it's the same with anybody, really. And so with the climate scientists, you know, most people are willing to go with the science because farming is about science. And if that's the case, then we just have to make sure that we can have a system and we can have methodologies, we can have something where farmers can keep doing what they do best, which is farm. Um, and they also like looking after their farms because most of them want to hand it on to the next generation or sell it for a massive profit or do something <laughs> like that. So, you know, that's um, that's why I think, you know, farmers are interested in it. Um, they want to know that it's not about smoke and mirrors. They, they do want to know that, you know, um, that, and they don't want necessarily money from the government, they, but they wouldn't, they're quite interested in, in markets and data yeah. and, and proving that they're farm. And at the end of the day, more and more of them too are interested in this, in, in a niche product that sets themselves aside from somebody else. Um, and looking after their environment. So that's it all fits together at the end of the day. But, yeah, people, I, I mean, I just think we have to keep the politics out of it. That's what I say to people. Can we please yeah. just leave the politics at the door, let the politicians argue about all the, you know, make their points. But I, think, I, do, I do think, and it's a big challenge, and I think the challenge is actually for NFF. So yeah. it's trying to actually get something out there that is easy to understand on yeah. it because it's just, it is like... A, it is so complicated. And, and, I, and I think I know markets pretty well. And I, I, did, I actually did a 12-week module in carbon trading at uni. Wow. And, and I still, when I speak, maybe it's just Oscar. Uh, but, <laughs> it's, but, it, but it is complex. Like even, even like I, I, I listened to a lecture the other day about how to get, you know, carbon credit and get assessed. And I can just imagine 80% of farmers would look at it and say, checklist one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and they'd say, Actually, I'm just going to go out and burn some diesel. Yeah, this is too hard. Yeah, it's so. too hard. And I think as we get, um, and so what I, what the other thing I say to people is that this is a quite a long journey. This is not, mm. you know, there's no great rush. We hear about some amazing stories like the Wilmot Cattle Company selling their, you know, their, their. Um, their what do you call them the credits for yeah to to microsoft for half a million bucks a year you know all of this stuff and that's exciting but those opportunities you know we're at the very the the beginning of a very long journey and if people are at all interested in it then the first thing they should do is to just start to understand their own farm and how it works you know how does the carbon cycle work on their farm where is their carbon being stored you know what is if they're a cropping um, enterprise if they're a livestock enterprise maybe they're an intensive um, animal enterprise like pork you know how is the you know and because at the end of the day it's going to be financially much more rewarding for farmers to to be doing some of these things there's going to be some huge gains in there for farmers and the smart ones are going to be in there um you know actually making sure it works on their farm so we will though i take i take on board your um challenge because it is incredibly complicated and at it the could, moment it could, it's not it could just perfect. be it could just be that matt and i are simple 
Oh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I think Just... it is incredibly complicated. It is incredibly complicated. And there's biodiversity, there's carbon, there's this soil stuff. Um, it's, it is incredibly complicated and it's got to be simple and it's got to be good for farmers and it's got to allow farmers to keep on doing what they do best, basically. Fiona, you um, you also alluded as part of your discussion around the headwinds was obviously the the trade tensions we've seen um, with China, particularly that's impacted a range of different commodities and and continues to impact a range of different commodities. Do you, how, how do you perceive that playing out from from the perspective of um, National Farmers Federation and and what what is there much being done behind the scenes to try and guide um, the diplomats and the politicians in their negotiations and trying to get hit, hit the reset button or are we are we in for the long haul with this um, with this kind of disruption to trade with China? Um, I think what it what it showed was that some and we you know for some time I think everybody's been thinking that it's it's a little dangerous to have all your eggs in the one basket. We did it with the UK back in the 70s and then it joined the EU. Bloody um, British. Yeah. <laughs> you can't and... trust them. You can't trust those people from the UK. No, no. Well, here we are joining hands again with them now. My goodness. Um, but it's the same with China. And I think some commodities, you know, and it's a very lucrative market. The prices are great. So, you know, some commodities were very much exposed. And I think that's, you know, a bit of a headwind. And it wouldn't surprise me if those commodities never have are quite that exposed again, because it's been probably quite a useful lesson. But certainly, yes, lots of discussions behind the scenes, lots of discussions. At the end of the day, you know, I don't think megaphone diplomacy works really well. Um, you know, the government does have to walk this fine line between, you know, protecting the interests of Australians and, you know, also, of course, maintaining this relationship with one of our biggest trading partners. Interestingly enough, the amount of um, trade that is still happening with China is huge, enormous, um, even in some of those commodities that we've heard so much about. So, you know, the, the customers still love our product. Uh, we've got to concentrate on making sure that if we say our product is is great and clean and green and make all these claims about our products, we've actually also got to make sure that we can deliver on that. That's a, that's a little reminder to us that we can't rest on our laurels. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, I think in terms of relationships, people are concentrating on the relationships they do have within China, but also now looking at other markets. And there are plenty of people who want to buy Australian produce. So that's the great thing. And the government has been quite helpful with some programs to help some of those commodities, particularly the ones that are very exposed, um, start looking at developing some of those other markets, um, particularly the ones on our doorstep. And COVID, of course, has interfered with, with markets like India and the market mm. development in India. But um, I think we'll, we'll see eventually, hopefully, we can sort through some of the, the issues with China. I'm confident that the government's committed to it, but they've also you know, they've got, there's a lot of things happening at a political level and a geopolitical level, but we've also got to look at other markets and developing those other markets and markets like Indonesia, Vietnam, Indonesia, Korea, yeah. yeah, you know, Japan, um, you know, all of those ones. And I think that's, that's the thing. Australia geographically is in a pretty enviable position in yeah. terms of like Indonesia, even Burma, India, yeah. Thailand, yeah. Vietnam, South Korea. Know. Yeah. <laughs> and they're just all, all markets that when you think about it, Anyone, any other country in the world who's a major exporter, like Russia, would love to be geographically oh, here. absolutely. And I guess, you know, they haven't perhaps been paying quite the premium that um, China has for some of the products. And so that's why 
maybe, you know, we haven't been concentrating quite so much on them or some commodities haven't been concentrating quite so much on those. But I think now, you know, the as I say, when we travel to Europe, um, when we travel anywhere really overseas and the days when we can, what's that word, travel? Is that when you go to the living room? <laughs> when, when you the, the, back, the back of the garden? <laughs> yeah, they were all... Absolutely. Everyone's astonished about how many markets we have. Mm. Um, and so, you know, we, but we also always say to government, that's not enough. We want more. And um, government has put money on the table following the China um, issue to, to try and develop some of those markets more, you, um, particularly given, given COVID. So. Now, you've just got to go to, you know, the UK and go to Tesco's and the amount of good Australian products that are available there. You yep. know, Foster's. Yep. <laughs> Terrible yeah. one. Yellowtail. I was going to say, I, was, I wasn't sure whether I should say that. I actually got a text message from um, from a guy uh, from the Seed Federation, Osman, and it was a text message with a picture of a bottle of Yellowtail in Tesco's in, in Glasgow, I think it was, but it had security tags on it to stop oh. people stealing. <laughs> so it's high quality stuff. Yeah. In, in terms of Fiona, with uh, the one of one of the things that really sort of strike me, struck me this morning when I was looking at data on from ABARES on the value of different commodities was actually how many commodities we have. Yeah, like even even cropping. Yeah, you've yeah. got every, everything from lupins, the different pulses, triticale. Yeah, um, and then then you sort of look down it, and then you've got you know all the other farming things like the livestock. Mm. You've got honey. Mm. You've got horticulture horticulture there's a, a billion different things in horticulture mm. Mm. Uh, and then you've got do you guys aquaculture is that under your remit as well aquaculture is actually not um we have in covid been working quite quite um well with the seafood industry um and they've had a lot of similar challenges in the trade space too so um they have their own um body at the moment the seafood mind you they have about 50 bodies a bit like us so, you're, you're, um, you're, you're missing out because i'd be trying to take over that and say oh uh, well uh, i've got, 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 got a Go to Coffin Bay once a month to have a meeting, yeah. you know. <laughs> but, but 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 what I was thinking was like, <laughs> there's so many industries that that you guys are maybe not responsible for, but you you represent. That's probably yeah. the right word. Cut flowers, cut flowers, mm. nurseries. But how do you get like a lot of those are potentially competing with one another to an extent? Like I give an example, um, pulses. And, and pea protein or, or whatever else is a big market for that will be uh, for meat. But then you've obviously got the meat industry, which is quite tense at the moment with things like that. And that's, just, that's just an example. But how do you get so many voices, you know, to have like the one sort of policies? Um, like, like it, how hard it, is that to? How, how, how do you keep people happy? <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't always, um, but we try really hard. And um, I guess it's also because it, it's 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 working out which issues people can really unify on and which issues are really going to be important to ag, and working out too, I think, what people's real concerns are. Um, so if you take um, plant protein. Let's talk about plant protein because you raised that one. And, yeah, I mean, you know, calling um, the plant protein meat 
um, you know, calling, you know, we've got this whole labelling issue in Australia at the moment where you, you can have this vegetable patty that's called a, a burger or a, a meat burger, um, you know, and we've got, you know, fake meat everywhere. So there's this whole discussion about that. And I think it's not that the red meat industry minds that there's going to be a plant protein industry because at the end of the day, you know, the, the red meat is going to just, I think, that looking at how many people we've got on the planet and how many animals we're going to be able to have, it will always have a really strong focus, a really strong big market and be very, very, you know, almost moving towards the more expensive end of the market and out of reach of many consumers. So there's definitely a place for this other stuff, this other plant protein. And if you're a chickpea grower like me or a grain grower and a beef producer, you need, you know, everybody realises you've got to find a way through it. So it's not the fact that they... You know, don't want this product to be developed is that they just don't want it called meat um, and I think that's you know other countries have have grappled with that as well so it's look we what we do is bring everybody together we make sure everybody has the same information we make sure that the actual members themselves are involved in the policy you know they do the policy development I don't I'm the front face of it I'm the punching bag but at the end of the day it's the, the members that have to and it can take a long time to get a policy and sometimes it's not ideal in terms of everybody's where 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 we end up is not perfect for everyone but everybody can live with it as a national policy and they see it as a sensible national policy but i think that 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 the meat one i'm i'm, I'm in two minds of it I, I can see some comparisons to the likes of i can't remember what they're called the geographic regional indicators yeah, the, uh, the, the feta cheese can't be called yeah yeah the cheese. geographical indicator yeah. it's yeah. kind of like that really yeah. that's the way i sort of see it. it's it's a it's a sort of a thing that and 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 I, and I do, as a, as a pork farmer, mm. like a, my uh, and and, I, and I, there's one particular company that makes uh, fake meat, and they make fake pork and fake uh, beef mince, mm. and and my wife uh, nearly bought it, uh, thinking it was real, yeah, uh, because it said oh it's bull free mince, yeah, so and she, it looks it looks like it looks like it well, on my, the packet. My, well, my wife's not a not a, she's not from agriculture. And mm. she just assumed it was just mince that was just from females. Yeah. Female cattle. Bill yeah. free. You know, <laughs> yeah. that, that's, that's how she read it. And it was only quickly. And then she then she then she looked at the price and realized it was twice the price. She said, I'm not yeah. paying that much because I'm a she's also Scottish. Uh, <laughs> but 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 it's the same with the with the pork. It's it's boar free pork. I think it's boar free, it's called. But well, that's also considered and when you're selling pork, boar free pork is premium pork. Because it's free of boar taint, so that's the that's the one that really, if I'm completely honest, pisses me off. And um, it's and it's and it's plastered with pictures of the animal sometimes as well. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. and it's misleading. Um, I mean, yeah. it's and it's misleading. And I think that, so. I think that though, that's a great example. So that's what the discussion is about at the moment in Australia. It's not so much, you know, should we have this product because it's developing, um, but it's it's more. What do we call it? Um, and that's a discussion that absolutely, you know, well, we're very involved in and the, we've made some submissions to the Senate. And, you know, well, the rules it. around packaging, I think, are, are for yeah. every other product. And I think, look, I actually, if I'm completely honest, Matt and I have tried them and yeah. I've tried them a few times. Uh, I think you just let the consumer decide. The consumer will try it once and I don't think they'll try it again. <laughs> if, if, like if I'm completely honest, especially when it's at a huge premium, the average consumer one, like, you know, if, if you're if you're a purely analyst like me, 
you know, you, you can't afford to, you know, pay those kind of fees. Well, I, the I, other thing is too, you know, when you start getting to the really fake meat stuff, the ones, you know, the cell that's developed in the petri dish in the laboratory mm. type of meat, that one, mm. then, you know, in actual fact, the or when you start doing the carbon sum, you know, some of the, all of the, the sums that go into, you know, because the, the claims, that, the environmental claims about a lot of these things are not, are not right. And, you know, and even as a chickpea grower myself, you know, I know that to, to farm chickpeas, you know, it takes up a huge amount of land. You can't grow them in in in, in containers. You, you have to have acres committed to, to chickpeas and you have to, you know, farm them like you do any other crop. So, you know, if you're comparing that sustainability to some of our cattle out there eating the pasture, it's, it's, it, it's, there's, um, it's, you can't compare them. So, you know, I think it's, that's part of the discussion, but one doesn't make one product bad. And I guess no, that's, I think it's, it's, that's not, what we try and do in the, in, in it's, NFF. It's, it's, it's not pointing the finger at others. Or sell, sell yeah. a product, sell a product best, not based on its own benefits, not yeah. by detracting somebody else's. Yeah. And product. we say, you know, a lot of the time we say, so obviously all the commodities are dog eat dog in the trade space. They're all fighting for their own, you know, and they do their own thing in the, t- in terms of how many tons of, of, of whatever they get into the different markets and trying to do their own advocacy in that space. And they do their own crop development. They do their own product development. They do all of those things. But at the end of the day, we're team Aussie ag. That's what we are. We're about Australian agriculture. If Australian agriculture is doing well, then we're doing well. And if you're as a farmer, you know, you just want Australian agriculture to do well. And that's that's the flavour we bring to the discussion. We can't always be all things to all people, and we're certainly not in the egg space. But I think by bringing people together and um, particularly on some of the issues where, you know, they really, there's so many similarities around the benefits for farmers or the problems for farmers, um, then, you know, we can get some wins that people can't get if they're just, you know, ad, uh, lobbying on their own. Well, that's that's kind of like a union in the end of the day, isn't it? It's 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 combining the uh, the, the voices of many versus the voices of of, of the few. As, mm. as, a, as a Scotsman, we know all about the unions. We we, invent, we, <laughs> well, we, we invented them. Yes, <laughs> and some of our members actually are unions still. So yeah, mm. as long as they're not the militant types like the uh, the, the dockers. <laughs> we're having a few arguments with some of the unions at the moment actually about different things so. I, I wasn't i wasn't going to raise it because i didn't want to uh, inf- inflame any tension uh, but no like again i think Fiona, like it is just a positive time uh, everything is well i say everything the major for the majority it's going well uh, i think we, we've been blessed i think by having good conditions locally uh, and somebody, uh, Andrew from ANZ, pointed out the other day that it's Australia's a bit like uh, Stephen Bradbury at the moment. <laughs> we're, we're having everybody else overseas falling over, and and we're able to nip past. You know, we've got commodity prices which are inflated largely because of what's happening overseas. Um, we've got you know Brazil closing down, Argentina closing down when it comes to beef. We've got French wheat, which is in you know poor condition in terms of quality. We've got Russia, which is downgrading with Canada which is downgrading but US which is uh, in in strife with their export facilities on the Mississippi we've got you know the UK which is struggling through Brexit you know there's a you can almost pick any country and there's something wrong with their ag supply chain and then you can look at us and say well okay we had a bad frost last weekend we've got a, an ag visa uh, we've got a, a a labor issue which I'm faithful that that will get fixed mm. uh, but the reality is that we are doing extremely well mm. and, 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 I, and touch wood this will be a year to be remembered 
Yeah, no, I totally agree. And um, I think from our perspective, um, yeah, there's probably a little bit of luck in there. Um, but, you know, the thing about Stephen Bradbury was that um, even though he was the last man standing, um, he wasn't without skill and he wasn't, you know, he earned his place at the Olympics. And um, so I'd say that there's a little bit of good management in there for Australian agriculture as well in terms of where we find ourselves at the moment. And we're right well placed to make up the ground if someone else falls over and um and and to take it through to the end so um you know how good is that we just get through this next harvest one of the best harvests in 25 years for some of the people up north we work through these little border issues that we just got with some recalcitrant premiers at the moment and trying to 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 have their own little um empires and we we look we get back to working as a federation um generally and i think um bob's your uncle are we going to get past the labor issue Though, Fiona, do you think, is there enough being um, done in that space to, to get the right workforce in place for this year? There's a, lot, um, there's a lot of good things being done. Whether or not we can actually get the ag visa up by this harvest, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, you know, it does need, we do need to sign it up with, with other countries. We need three or four countries at least to, to sign up to it before we can start bringing workers in on the visa. Um, you know, it's already September um, so I'd say probably, and then we have to sign off, you know, quarantine arrangements at, at a time when, you know, we're in the middle of this Delta strain. Um, so I'd say it, it, it's probably unlikely that we're going to see much benefit of it this harvest. Um, but certainly I think we'll be really well poised to go into the next year with it. And some of the, you know, being an industry-wide visa, it's going to be great for some of our supply chain businesses as well. Um, but there are already now, um, we're hoping, you know, Ag Day, 19th of November, we're concentrating on, you know, making sure people can have an ag venture, um, trying to encourage those Aussies back out there again. There's some of the industries are doing, grains industry, for example, doing great work with pilots and vets mm. and people like that. So, Yep. Um, you know, I'm hopeful that we'll we'll get through it and we'll be able to get, you know, every if, if all the states sign up to the Ag Workers Code, which we just refreshed today, it's just, it, we're just launching the refreshed version today with vaccinations and things. Um, and if all the states can agree to a national system for people moving through the, through the borders, that would make it so much mm. easier. Um, and then, you know, hopefully, um, you know, but I'm hopeful that this Ag Visa has been such a long time in coming, it will really long-term resolve mm. some of the labour issues that we've the- had. The way I sort of see it is that labour, this COVID has exacerbated the situation with with labour. Yeah. Not the issue with labour has been around bubbling in the background for five to ten years. Yeah. And 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 I think this has just pushed things along quickly. And, and the ag visa, when it came out, I sort of my my initial thoughts were well, this year's a write off when it comes to that anyway. Yeah. But this is the next ten years that it's yeah. that's that's going to provide value for. So. Absolutely. And it's, it is actually a bit of a, you know, it's a game changer in the structural way that um, we look to for workforce in ag. So, you know, in the past, we've, we've relied on that seasonal worker visa, the backpackers, and both of those visas really weren't necessarily designed for ag. The, the seasonal worker program, Pacific Islander scheme, they're, they're predominantly aid programs, mm. um, but ag's been able to tap into them. And the backpackers, of course, you know, again, not specifically designed for ag, whereas the ag visa is specifically designed for ag um, it's tailored to ag and you know it's it, it it will be a game changer in the next decade um, and so it's it's incredibly exciting that we you know it, takes, it took a long time coming um, but very exciting that we do have that on the table now even if it's not you know going to, going to make much of a difference for this year fingers crossed touch wood we're very optimistic us farmers 
Well, I, I, I just, I just sort of think that it will, what will happen will happen. I think we'll, we'll muddle through. You know, yeah. we all do. We're Australian farmers, like as a Scotsman, you know, we probably don't get <laughs> anywhere near as many disasters that Australian farmers get. And, you know, Australian farmers are just more resilient. Yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that low smoke up, you know, Australian farmers. It's just, just the natural fact is that you have a terrible climate and and you have <laughs> you have so many disasters and and so many issues that you just don't see in a lot of other places so and I people think, still want to be here that's yeah, the, that's absolutely. the best thing i mean i do say that to people every now and again but it, it, we haven't got any of them at the moment because we've come out of that terrible droughty stage but in the droughty stage and people were you know really um feeling quite sad and it was very confronting you know a lot of people you know, they, you, you just say to them, so what's good about being a farmer? You want to be a farmer? And they go, yes, I always wanted to be a farmer and I still want to be a farmer. And people do it because they love it. So mm. resilience is part of it, I think, in Australia. 100%. <laughs> so I reckon we'll, we've probably covered everything. We've, we've kept you for, for a long time. And I think I, can, I think I can see the sun setting in the, in the window behind you. Over there in the west. Uh, yeah. And... Uh, so I just want to say thanks very much for, for coming along and uh, and being candid with your, your discussions on, on the market uh, or the industry. And uh, like it's been really, really enjoyable to get your insights into what is happening and what will hopefully be happening. Yeah, absolute pleasure. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Matt. Always enjoy the chat and always enjoy the chat, particularly at a time when um, ag is just the flavour of the month. It's so positive and great. It's a great time to be an ag. So it's a lot easier. It. It's a lot easier to pick up the phone just now than in the middle of a drought, <laughs> when, when you when you know what the conversation is going to be. Well, so so, so what the, we'll the is- last time the last time uh, we had you on, I think Fiona, you mentioned about us Andrew and I making egg sexy or something along those lines. So no, no, I, 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 I think I think it was actually when I met. Fiona. He might have been a bad data. Dead. It wasn't, about, it wasn't about physically sexy. It was anyone, about- anyone, anyone that uses the word sexy in relation to us at any stage is always welcome to chat to us. So it's been fantastic having uh, you chat. Or, 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 or has maybe, maybe some judgment issues. <laughs> but Definitely I, about the data. It was, I, should, I should remember it was at the, it was at the, funnily enough, it was actually at the last, uh, Victorian Austra- it was. Australian. It, it was at the last Australian Grains Industry Conference mm. that actually physically occurred. Mm. That's right. Because <laughs> I remember mm. I had a cast on because I broke my arm. That's right. So, <laughs> so definitely so a long time ago. And and it was that we were making data sexy, Matt. Was Not, it? Okay. It, it wasn't that we were sexy, you know. Clearly, I don't, I just <laughs> when you're my age, Andrew, you just take the compliments whenever you can get them. You know, so. <laughs> No, no say it was it was fantastic to have you on there. I appreciate it very much. It's always been uh, yeah, it's always good to chat to you and it's it's been some great insights there. So appreciate and, it. And, and fantastic. An asset to the industry. And uh, we'll 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 book you in for the same time September twenty thirty. <laughs> and, and and we'll and we'll see how things have tracked. Yeah, yeah. We might even chat before that. So there you Possibly, go. if you've got time. You, <laughs> Sounds you, good. You've got a busy schedule. Sounds good. <laughs> Listen and see when you got nothing on. Catch you later. <laughs> see you. Thanks so much.